Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is children's sermons. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on those running shoes or pick up your knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zenzelo. It's my honor to serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, children's sermons. I did not grow up with them in the Catholic Church. Why do you do them? Because they've always been done when I've been there. No. Oh, nice. <laughs> I love it. So that's true. All the congregations I've been to, but again, that's not many or for that long, have always had children's sermons. I don't know if it's a Lutheran thing. I think it's also in a lot of other denominations, mainline denominations. Okay. But I don't know that it's in evangelical churches. When we looked it up, we should share this with our gathered listeners. When we looked it up online, there's like nothing. No. Well, there was a Wikipedia entry, but not a lot of meat in that story. No, not at all. So if there's someone out there looking for some kind of thesis or dissertation topic, history of the children's sermon and how to do it effectively is ripe for the picking. There you go. I'm just saying. Okay. So... Is this something then that you covered in seminary, or they just bring it on you when you actually get a job as a pastor? Well, should we actually even say what it is for people who don't know? What, a children's sermon? Yeah. It's not in the name? I don't know. Okay. What it is specifically, in case folks haven't seen it, is it's a small, short, little, boiled down version of the message for the day presented in a way that will reach the children. Okay. And... We'll also say that they ask the children to come up to the front. Oftentimes. So the kids will gather in a space, whether it's in the front of the sanctuary or on the side of the sanctuary, but the kids are brought together. Which is why I never would have gone as a kid because there's no way I'm walking in front of everybody. (laughs) So the kids are brought into kind of up and around the pastor Mm -hmm. and then the sermon or the, the homily or the message, those are all interchangeable words is spoken to and with the kids in one form or another. Usually you don't want them to go more than five minutes. Oh, no. There's some short attention spans in that group. Yeah, the goal is two to five minutes. I think I typically hit around the fiver with our kids. So that's what the children's sermon is, and it can be in various different points in the service. Ours is right after kind of the opening stuff, before the lessons are read. Mm Mm-hmm. In previous calls, it has been after the gospel reading, right before the adult sermon starts. Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever been to a service when it was there. It's usually more towards the beginning for me. Yeah. And then what happens with the kids afterwards can kind of vary by congregation. You told a story a couple weeks ago in our podcast about them. My poor daughter being led astray, (laughs) led outside. Right. Being taken away. There they go. Or, you know, released back to the pews or sent on to the nursery area. So what happens after the children's sermon can vary from congregation to congregation. Okay, back to my question then. Is it covered in seminary? No. Oh, nice. They do spring it on you. It wasn't covered in my seminary, at least. We didn't ever talk about specific techniques, and we may have had conversations on the side about it, but there was no specific class about it, and I don't remember specifically covering it in my preaching class. Were you expecting it then at your first call? Or did they say, hey, by the way, good luck planning for this children's sermon. It's on. Gosh, it was, I'm actually getting older. (laughs) (laughs) 
You can tell you're getting older when you're like, I don't remember. When was my first children's sermon? Was it in my teaching parish? Well, it's got to be harder then, doesn't it? If you're never really given any information on the best way to do it, or is it just like any other sermon? I don't know, because here's where I differ from the average seminarian. Okay. I come from a theater background. Oh, sure. And in my senior year of college, I took a children's theater class. Oh, sure. And I took an oral interpretation class where a third of the course was on how do you read children's books to children well. Like an entire third of a Uh semester of a college course on how do you read a children's book and engage the children and work with them and involve them. So... Like, I had that in my pockets before I showed up at seminary. Uh huh. And I think that that gives me maybe an unfair advantage to a lot of my colleagues who may have never had that kind of experience. And that's where, again, we're really blessed with our Sunday school teacher, Joellen, because she works with the Portland Children's Theater Company. Sure. And she has those skills from working with children in theater capacity. And so... In some ways, children's sermons to me are a lot like doing children's theater. Okay. How do you do the storytelling? How do you involve them? How do you do that kind of work with the children? You have five minutes or less. Do you start with your regular sermon and then find some angle for the kids? Or is it sometimes completely different? Rarely it's completely different. Okay. I think this last week it was completely different. And when I have chosen to go completely different, it's because the core concept of the adult sermon is so far beyond the level of growth or the level of comprehension of the children that it's really not going to work. And it changes based on the ages of your kids too, right? So in previous calls, my age group was maybe closer to five to 10, Uh five being like the straggler. So like the core of my kids was seven to 10 years old with an occasional 11 and 12 year old. Uh It's a very different level of comprehension than when I arrived here and I had zeros to fives. Uh Uh-huh. And I actually had to go do research on brain development and child development and how do you teach and talk to preschoolers. You know, my last call, I had just done some work with preschoolers, but it was very vague. And those preschoolers are like four and five. Yeah. They're not zero to three. Uh Uh-huh. And so how do you reach that zero to three crew? And now we've got an even greater spectrum. Yes, you do. So we still have the zeros. And now we go all the way up to that seven, eight, nine year old. Well, and sometimes 11. My daughter's still trying to figure out if she wants to go or not go. Right. And we have up to 11, which is great with those older kids who come up because they're a little braver. Sure. And they can give me some answers of things. But I realized when I first got here, I couldn't be asking them questions. No. It was terrible. I relied on questions for my children's sermons. And they they weren't even verbal yet. So Mm -hmm. there was no, like, asking them a question about, you know, have you ever felt sad when you've been playing with someone else? You know, a two-year-old is going to look at you like... I'm sad now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It It was not good. No. So I had a lot of learning to do. 
So that's where the challenge comes in, I think, for the learning. That's where the challenge definitely comes in, is learning about childhood development and that kind of a piece when you have a large enough crew in an age range that you really want to pay attention to that on. Well, where do you get ideas? Because often they have some sort of a gimmick to them, and that seems like it would be a very hard thing to come up with week after week, especially on a specific topic. Great question. I will plug my very favorite resource, which actually is known nationally, but he's a local pastor here in Oregon City, a friend of mine, John Stevens, Pastor John Stevens. And he runs something called Dollar Store Children's Sermons. Nice. (laughs) And he goes to the dollar store and finds things and then relates them to the scripture for the day. So if you have a scripture about, I mean, gosh, what's one that I can remember? One of the favorite ones is you take the bubble gum sticks and you remove the sticks, but you put all the papers back in Uh huh. and then you open them and it's the surprise that there's nothing there. Oh, and that's the Easter tomb. Sure. Right. So John comes up with some great ideas for that kind of stuff if you need a thingy. And so oftentimes if I'm really stuck on children's sermon or adult sermon or sermons. Tell me you go walk the aisles of uh, the dollar store. I actually go just see what John did. Nice. <laughs> what did John write this week? And I go watch his video and I get just a, enough of a kicker, a booster of an idea to run with. And either I walk the aisles of the dollar store and see if I find something that springs Or, you know, I watch his stuff, or there are a couple other children's sermon sites. The challenge that I have here is that the kids are so young Uh that metaphor, which is what, you know, an empty bubblegum wrapper. It's going to go right over their head. Way over their heads. Way over their heads. And that's tough. And I think I have hit some kind of bumps here because... I've done things that have gone over their heads. Sure. But Joellen and I are working together to try and find ways to grab the children's sermon and then have it be kind of the nugget. And then she can take it and flesh it out a little bit more in our story time with the older kids. But that way we can keep it in the room a little bit funneled down towards our youngests to keep them engaged. Well, what makes a good children's sermon or a bad one if you want to do the flip side? (laughs) I think a bad one is when you're using the children to entertain the adults. Oh, yeah. Right. That's a bad children's sermon because you're not talking to the children then. No. You're still talking to the adults. And so my back is oftentimes to the adults. Uh Uh-huh. Not on purpose. It's not that I'm trying to ignore the adults, but my focus is on the kids. And that's who I'm talking to in that time. I'm not... I try really hard to not use the kids as an entertainment device for the adults at that point in time. Because oftentimes there is that factor. Right. And the kids are really cute and the kids are awesome to see and they bring light and joy to us. And that's not the point of the children's sermon. Mm -hmm. The point of the children's sermon is to show God's story to the children at an age appropriate and rememberable way. And that doesn't involve being an entertainment device for the adults in the room. So a good children's sermon, I think, keeps the kids engaged, keeps them paying attention, and reaches them at their developmental level. Sure. Whatever that is. And I think another piece that I've learned over the decade plus of doing them now is 
repetition can be your friend. Okay. I didn't even recognize that when I was doing, and this started in this call, I had started doing the repeat after me prayer Mm -hmm. a long time ago. I started doing that when my colleague, Pastor Zane, did that at my first call. So I've been doing that for a while now, but I hadn't recognized that I had started using the exact same opening every time until the children started saying it with me before it was time to repeat it. Oh, too funny. I'm too far back to ever notice anything like that. So I think that it was probably one who was around three or four who started, and I would say, loving God, and they are loving God. Uh And then one of the little ones around three or four just automatically with me said, thank you for loving us. And I'm like, oh, my. It works. I guess I have said that a lot. (laughs) And so now I'm really intentional about it. That is now the opening for every single children's sermon prayer. Loving God, thank you for loving us. Nice. Help us. And on we go from there. Mm -hmm. And that repetition, like the phrase, God loves you no matter what, have become refrains of consistency for these kids from zero to seven, if that's the foundation of their faith life for the first five years of their faith life. That's pretty good. That's a good, solid foundation. And I'll take it. If they've gotten nothing else out of my children's sermons, I'll take that they've gotten loving God, thank you for loving us. And God loves you no matter what, because that could serve them well in the years to come. Repetition and refrains aside, have you ever recycled them? I'm trying to think if I have. Because I know you're not a fan of recycling your sermons for the adults either. Very rarely. (laughs) And mostly when I've been sick and never preaching the same one to the same congregation again. Sure. I may have brought one back, but not that I can remember. There might be little pieces that I've brought back, but not specifically that I can recall. And part of that is just the great age difference. Between the kids that I worked with in previous calls and the kids here, they're not recyclable. I can remember one where I was actually interviewing and I was new and I was interviewing for my first call and I did a children's sermon and I gave them little rocks Uh because God is our rock, right? And I gave them little rocks and little gems because I thought that was super cool. And then like a day or two later, someone was like, So why did you give choking hazards to the kids? Oh, no. Oh, no. That was like 25-year-old, never been around kids. That's not the spirit in which it was intended, my (laughs) friend. So now at least I know not to give choking hazards. Well, there you go. It's a step forward. Yeah. That's, you know, what it is. Do you have any other pet peeves other than using the children as entertainment for the adults? My other pet peeve, and this could sound really bad, and I do not mean to say bad things about other colleagues who've done this in the past. So forgive me if I sound judgmental. Please forgive me. I really don't like it when food is used as the way to get the kids to the children's sermon. Oh. So when it's, I'll go like to the Like a children. reward? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. If you come up, I'll give you candy. Or the expectation of candy on Easter. Uh-huh. Or the expectation of getting candy on Christmas from the pastor. I know too many kids with too many diet restrictions and allergies and things like that. Well, and too many moms in the pews going, stop, give my kid candy because that would be me. Parents who don't like their kids having that much sugar or whatever it is. They're getting plenty. You don't have to help them. Right? (laughs) And this comes from the person who then 
took away stuffing the Easter eggs so that we could have a prize (laughs) table, right? Like I am the epitome of taking food out of being the reward for kids doing certain behaviors and having sugar be the reward. So that's a pet peeve of mine. You shouldn't have to use sugar in order to preach the word of God to children. No, that's for the adults at the end of the service when you get your coffee. (laughs) Well, and the kids get their cookies at the end of the service too, right? I mean, that's fair. It's still going to happen. They're still going to get it, but they're not going to get it from me up from the pulpit. And it just broke my heart one year when a little girl came for the Easter egg hunt and she wasn't able to take any of the prizes because all of the prizes were chocolate and she's lactose intolerant. Oh, yeah. And so here's this three-year-old who can't have any of the prizes that were at the Easter egg hunt. And so I was lucky enough that I was planning on give. I admit I have given candy, right? Sure. Oh, like, sure. I had gummy butterflies in my office for Easter morning that I was going to give the kids gummy butterflies. And so I was able to give her gummies. They wouldn't have fit into the eggs. Sure. But I had them like individually wrapped. So I was able to give her a couple gummies. So she at least had something. And that was the reason why I was like, we need something other than chocolate in our eggs for kids to find. We need to do away with this because we want to be inclusive. Fair enough. Okay. Last question then. Mm -hmm. Is it harder with more kids or harder with fewer kids? Good question. Uh Uh-huh. Gosh, it so depends on the kids. It so depends on the kids. Yeah, because sometimes I'm sitting there and you ask the kids to come forward and it may be the dead of summer. Not a lot of kids. I get and I'm one like, or is, two. Is that mm-hmm. easier or is that harder? It really depends. So like when it's two kids and one is 11 and one is three, my brain is firing on all cylinders. <laughs> like in that moment, like sure. how how do I make this something that the young one can understand but still feeds the older one. Sure. Like how do I – so I have, like, the amount of time it takes them to stand up in their pews and walk up front, reframe and retool my children's sermon to get it to work. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't. When we get our bevy of kids, which yeah. we can have up to 20 or 25 yeah. in the heat of the year – the challenge there is keeping their attention because they're so excited to see each other. Oh, yeah. And what I noticed, I've never stood to do the children's sermon before because like the towering over the kids, I'd never done that before. I always sat with the kids in previous calls. But what I noticed when I got here was that when I sat with them, they couldn't keep their focus off each other. Oh, sure. And they didn't know who to focus on, partially because they didn't know me yet. But also just because of the architecture of our room and the kids don't sit in a small clump together. Uh-huh. They sit all the way across the It's f- a big string. Front. It's a big string and parents come up as well and they use that to be able to stand up and sit down easier. Uh-huh. So it's not like a bunch of kids can sit on the floor and get up and down because they're kids. We've got, you know, adults that are using the stairs so that it's easier to stand up and down. So I've got them stretched all the way across the chancel. And if I'm just sitting... They can't see me. And, and it's definitely out of sight, out of mind in this group. Totally. And so I've had to stay standing for the children's sermons to kind of, and it's a towering over, but it's to keep focus pulled. And when we get the big, long string, the hardest part is keeping everybody's attention. Uh huh. So it's very different for very different reasons, but those are some of the underlying challenges. 
and the baptismal font's right there too. So oh, yeah. it's like the tripping hazard. So it's the challenges themselves. It has nothing to do with a sheer number. The number. There's no it's, sweet spot, huh? There's no sweet spot. It really, it really is just how big is the age gap between the youngest and the oldest and how far distance wise are they away from one another? And how long has it been since they've seen each other? Nice. The children's sermon matrix. Right. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about children's sermons. I look forward to sitting down with you another day on another topic. As do I. It would be great if you ever had an awesome children's sermon experience. If you want to share that with us or a great idea that you have, I would love to hear it. You can send it to us at podcast at centralportland.org or post it on our Facebook page. We would love to hear from you. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.